So this is Snark Notes. Uh, and uh, we're drinking out of fucking pineapples because we're classy as shit. Not just pineapples, like very sparkly, shiny pineapples. Yeah. Courtesy With of crazy straws. Yes. Courtesy of Urban Outfitters. Mm -hmm. They're not sponsoring us. I wish they were. <laughs> this is not an ad. This is just buying pineapples at Urban yeah. Outfitters. Um, so, yeah, on today's episode, we are talking about uh, dystopian futures and due to the current political climate, which of our favorite dystopian novels are the most likely to happen. So we, uh, we, kind of, we started with a bigger list and we kind of narrowed it down um, to kind of like five uh, fave dystopian novels. It was hard. Like, I really wanted the 100 to make the list. <laughs> First of all, I was like unaware but previous to this that the 100 was like a book and not just a shitty CW TV show. <laughs> But apparently there's a book out there if you're interested. A person background, people. I've been trying to force everyone for years to watch the show The 100. <laughs> At Cartoon, you spent an entire, like, one of those, like, Wednesday before Thanksgiving where everyone from your hometown goes out to drink together. She, like, pestered our poor innocent friend for approximately 30 minutes on why he should watch The 100. And then when he left, you were like, I'm just really concerned that he's not going to like it. And we're like, Alice, he's not going to watch it. I know, but I really was. And you know the really sad thing? I don't even watch it anymore. Well, its first two seasons were great, and then the third one just like really went off the wall. Yeah, yeah so we eliminated some of those. Gattaca also gets a shout-out um, uh, as a great film um, from our youth. So yeah. Remember when you used to just watch Gattaca in science class when your science teacher like didn't want to actually teach? Because um, it's like science-y. <laughs> <laughs> the number of movies we watched in high school is borderline insane. Yeah. <laughs> mean Girls. The one? Uh, Coyote Ugly, which I watched in Shakespeare and you, even though it has nothing to do with Shakespeare. For me, it was the fact that um, we watched the documentary An Inconvenient Truth in European <laughs> History. Or no, even worse than that, in European History we also watched A River Runs Through It, which is about fly fishing in Montana. <laughs> I mean, why not, Alice? Um, so something else that we had to, to sort of like preface this whole thing, so we are both like fairly liberal, fairly mm -hmm. progressive, um, did not vote for Trump, <laughs> if you couldn't have guessed that from the tone of the rest of this podcast, you know, and like I'm not, like I didn't even feel that great about voting for Clinton, but like I would have voted for like literally anyone except Donald Trump. Yeah, so we've um, obviously like talked a lot um, like since Trump has been elected about like what we can do to sort of like help our communities and like how would that how do we like move forward <laughs> in a world where Donald Trump is president not to get like too into it but so like Harry Potter is obviously not a dystopian novel um, but uh, we did want to share this one like embarrassing story where I think it's a great story the Harry Potter kid in me so so, um, as we all know, the Women's March, which happened back in January, um, the day after Trump's inauguration, um, which was fucking phenomenal, and just, like, the amount of people that came out across the world in their, you know, like, big cities or small towns or wherever, 
Um, so I live in Portland, Maine, and like we thought there'd maybe be like a thousand people at our women's march, and there were like ten thousand people there. I didn't realize it was that many. Yeah, it was fucking crazy. Like there were so many people there, and um, so I, <laughs> um, because I'm me, I had to work that day, and I was kind of worried that like. I just was worried that I would be late, right? That I would like get stuck at the march and then not be able to um, get to practice on time. And so I was kind of like, oh, do I go? Do I not go? And I was like going back and forth on it. And then I like honestly got had this thought of it was like, what would Hermione Granger do? And I was like, you don't just not go to the anti-Voldemort march. You fucking, this is Dumbledore's army shit. And you go and you stand up for what's right. But you know what I mean? So like, I do. Yeah. That's a great segue into like, reading dystopian yeah um things i think even though as you said harry potter isn't dystopian but yes. like when i think about like what i actually enjoy about it um one i enjoy it most when it's hypothetical like it's always it's it's harder to read certain stories um when when they feel real and i think yeah. that's partly why like divergent and um Hunger Games all had like this great heyday in like the Obama administration because we were like Maze Runner happened <laughs> Maze Runner how could I forget Maze Runner Maze Runner is totally good because Dylan O'Brien I mean yeah maybe <laughs> um, yeah so like first I enjoy them when they're hypothetical but second I really do enjoy like the um, like the resistance aspect of it yeah like I love a good kind of like insurgency I guess like a good yeah. revolution yeah. I think that's why uh, the fifth Harry Potter is like my favorite book a good underdog standing up to the yeah. man I think it may have been because I read a lot of Redwall when I was younger <laughs> and like it's literally the same story every fucking Field time fucking standing up for what's true yeah Every single fucking time, like, some, some like, rats take over the abbey, and, like, the knights are like, oh, hell no. And the fucking old blind badger is just, like, the Dumbledore character. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if, it's, if I already had that in me or if it was, like, reading those books a lot yeah. when I was younger, but I really do like when, like, people come together to, like, yeah. fight for something they believe in. And, yeah. And for, like, a better you know, future. Right. Which, like, argue, yeah, which, it, like, that's, that's, like, the inherent problem with, like, make America great again, right? It's, like, why are, why are we going back? <laughs> I don't want to go back. <laughs> I mean, you definitely have to be a white, heterosexual, like, male. Cisgendered male. <laughs> to want to go back. And yeah. also have a unrealistic sense of what back means. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah. So, I guess that leads us into, like, our, our countdown. So, we had, yeah, we had a, a bigger list, but basically we've cut it down to, like, our top five, mm -hmm. what we think uh, most likely to uh, happen due to the Trump era. Mm -hmm. that we are currently living in um, and we're gonna start with number five which we actually think is maybe like the least likely to happen and then yeah. work our way down to most likely to happen yeah okay. although we did as Kelly mentioned like we did have a much longer list yeah. at one point so all of these are like we tried to be somewhat likely fucking selective and like yeah. high class by eliminating things like the 100 which mm -hmm. like are not really literature oh. <laughs> you're just hurting me right Gattaca. now <laughs> I can't. sorry I was gonna make a joke about us always being high class and selective, and then you had to throw me under the bus <laughs> for the my love of the 100. Okay, um, okay, so, um, to start out the list, so in the number five spot, um, so out of the ones we selected, this is the one that we felt, like, was currently the least likely to happen, um, 
So it's The Giver, which is a classic, also a young adult um, novel. But I think the reason we put it in at number five is not because we don't think that it could happen, but it's probably the furthest removed from, like, the Trump era. So, like, the world we're living in now. So basically, if you haven't read it, The Giver is, like, this very controlled future where they're sort of engineering everybody's life from, like, a social... Um, like environmental, um, you know, like physical, every aspect of people's lives is controlled. So like they take pills to kind of control their emotions, they don't see color anymore, there's no music. It's like taking um, away the highs and the lows of yes, life. Yes, like they live in this like environmental bubble so there's no actual weather. Um, and like, so this kid be, they all get assigned a job based at like age like 11 or 12, kind of like based on mm -hmm. their skills and like the skills that they've demonstrated and their abilities that they've demonstrated as children. And this kid gets selected as the receiver so he like meets with this old man who is called the giver and he basically like gives him all of these memories from the time before so they sort of like assign this one person in their community to like remember all of the things from the time before and the idea is that they're an advisor and they kind of remember you know like so they remember why they're doing it and he can help them make decisions for the community so he like learns about all of the great things in life like feelings and yeah. colors and music and snow and like exciting shit but like also all of the crappy things like dying and war and like disease and all that bad stuff so it's sort of like the classic you know like is it better to live in a world without those things where there's no pain and suffering but like then we have to give away all of the good things yeah and like if you eliminate the highs and the lows and we're just on an even keel is that boring and is that a life worth living well and the bad things sometimes still happen but they're not fully aware that they're happening yeah so it's not even like they fully like yeah they talk it. about about like releasing people and like they're dying yeah. but like they're like oh they're being released like and they're like they're dead like yeah yeah it's like it's like a sort of like glossing over of like any problems in life and yeah, yeah like taking the medication and they like take medication to like not feel sexual urges like you know sort of like yeah there's a lot going on <laughs> there's a lot going on there but we did talk briefly about um how we felt like this was like a reaction to like trumpism so like you could see this happening in the future and it's sort of the world that like the alt-right accuses progressives of wanting to live in where everyone's like hypersensitive to everyone's feelings and we want to control everything and like live in this perfect snowflake bubble, bubble. where nothing ever goes wrong and Which, we're all to perfect a certain degree, like we do to a certain you know like yeah. a, a part of this election proof like that like, we do exist in echo chambers so in this coastal elite bubble yeah no and so like there's not they're not entirely wrong in that in that criticism yeah. um yeah no i don't think it would have to be necessarily like trump but like a world like the giver happens as a direct reaction to something horrible happening yes um it's it's the thing that's like we are going to sacrifice everything good because we don't want to have everything bad right and there's like good intent behind why they're doing it but you miss out on some of the good parts of life and like ultimately like spoiler alert <laughs> the fucking kid he like escapes with like the baby that they're gonna kill and so that he can go sledding <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even making that yeah, up yeah this is accurate 
Okay. Anyway, watch, okay. watch the fucking movie watch Cameo movie. by Taylor Swift. Um, so uh, that's number five. Mm-hmm. So at number four, slightly more likely to happen, we had The Hunger Games. Yeah, The Hunger Games. God, can I remember the exact premise for this? Um, it's been a while since I've read it. So The Hunger Games, the country is divided up into like 13 different regions um, who all at one point rebelled against the capital and they, they failed. And so... To punish them, uh, the capital now forces each region to send two kids um, to fight for to the death, all while being like viewed on camera. Hunger Games is one of those few um, books that I actually think is a lot more compelling as a movie because it is like reality TV. Mm-hmm. Like there's a meta component to it when you're watching it on on like a big screen where you're like, holy shit, I'm the capital. I'm the yeah. one being like. These kids are killing each other. Um, but like, and like the capital, like they're all like super rich and super wealthy, and yeah. like they they like to talk, they talk about how they go to these parties and then they like throw up so they can eat more food. Yeah, and like, there's sort of this like decadence and like over the topness that feels like that's what the one percent is in America, right? Yes. Like we have people that like you know live in this like bubble of like super wealth that just don't understand how the average person in America lives. Yeah, and the differences in the Hunger Games are even more apparent in, like, the outer districts, because it's just, like, they're kind of living in a world that feels, like, more like the 1800s, maybe, than, like, present day. So, it feels like we're a ways off from this, but, like, what does kind of ring true is, like, it's reality TV, and we are living with a reality TV president. And not only are we living with a reality TV president, but we are living with a vindictive reality <laughs> TV president. Well, and I think the distribution of wealth for, like, the yeah. 1% that has access to everything that they need and, like, more than what they need and is sort of, like, spoiled and terrible because of, like, their ability to access that and their privilege and then, like, the majority of people that are just fucking trying to make it by, you know? And the misunderstanding, or, like, the breach in empathy that happens there, where, like, the people from the Capitol, like, view this as entertainment, and they, like, have favorites, and they don't really think through the consequences of, like, these are real people who are struggling. Yeah, you get to meet some of the characters from the Capitol, and, like, you you become sympathetic to them, and you're, like, they're not all terrible people. It's just, like, exactly a lack of understanding of the reality of, people in other district situations and, yeah. you know. Yeah. So we can move on maybe to uh, number three, which is 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, 1984, I think, uh, feels realistic to the Trump era just because it's, like, 1984 is the whole, like, you know, big brother is always watching you mm-hmm. and there's definitely an aspect, especially, like, not even just because of Trump but because of, like, social media and, like, totally. a 24-hour news cycle um, where, like, someone's always watching and someone's always talking about what you're doing and, like, now we have all these leaks from the White House, too, and, like, WikiLeaks and, like, just the constant, like, in- no information is, like, private or secret anymore. Like, it's all, someone's always watching you. It's always out there. And then there's also, like the sort of, uh, like, control of, like, people's thoughts. Like, they have, like, the thought police and, like, the main character, like, his main job is that he rewrites news and, like, rewrites history, basically. And so, like, he'll go back and, like, say that, you know, like, Big Brother, so, like, the government has made a prediction that's turned out to be wrong. He, like, goes back and fixes anything to, like, make it right. So, like, Big Brother is never wrong. And, like, they're always, like, they have this whole thing about, 
how they're either at war with like one country or the other and they'll always be like we've always been at war with this country and that's always been the enemy and then it will like switch and they'll be like well two days ago we were at war with this person they're yeah, like totally. no we weren't we've always been at war with you know Do you and remember? yeah it's like very feels very true on like the whole level of like fake news and like alternative facts and how Donald Trump is just like he like will say one thing on one day and then the next day he'll be like nope I never said that you're wrong never said it and we'll have like literal proof that he said it and he's just like no no that's fake news you're just trying to twist what I said like I didn't do that but like he did and we all know he did but like he lives in this delusional world where like whatever he says now is like the truth and yeah. not there is no like the truth is very subject subjective um, no totally um no and especially what you were saying about social media really rings yeah. true I maintain that like I don't know that he would have been as viable a candidate as he was if Twitter didn't exist. Like that, and also I think he's, I think what makes him so successful is that he knows how to manipulate media in a way that no other presidential candidate has before. I mean, like, think about, like, when you first saw ads for Donald Trump on TV. I didn't until, like, literally two weeks before the election on my YouTube channels as I was, like, trying to work out. And it wasn't even Trump. It was, like, Ivanka being like, yeah. you should vote for my dad. But before that, you hardly ever saw ads for him because he didn't need them. No. Because he was just, like, calling into talk shows and they willingly, you know, like, fucking Morning Joe willingly talked to him every fucking day. And, like, he got... He manipulated the media in a way that, like, a candidate like Bernie Sanders, who arguably had, like, on-the-ground grassroots yeah. as many followers and as much, like, of a, like, passion, you know of people behind him wasn't that successful yeah, and like, in the media in his favor. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. And part of the reason I like think of him as like the Twitter candidate is um like when you think back to um uh, the famous JFK Nixon yeah. debate where like half the people listened to the debate on the radio and were like Nixon won hands down. Yeah. And the other half watched yeah. it on TV and were like, no, JFK all the way. Um and it's because like JFK was that first TV candidate. Yeah. And um I think probably Obama was the first kind of in the social media world, but like Trump was really the first Twitter candidate. Yeah. No other president has ever tweeted oh, quite like Donald Trump. No, I I would argue that no other president ever should. Oh but <laughs> right there with you. Right there with you. Okay. Uh, okay. That was a little bit of a tangent, yep. but I think a good one. Uh, number two. Number two. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm up. Um, Animal Farms. So yeah. There's definitely like some overlap here with 1984. Uh, yeah. Um, That's fine. No, so Animal Farm um, is like a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Allegory? Parable? Mm -hmm. Fairy tale? I think it was originally marketed as a fairy tale in some mm -hmm. places. Um, so it's, um, it takes place on a farm where the animals, like, rise up and, like, oust the, uh, the people living there. Sort of like a communist manifesto, yeah. like, we're gonna have our own farm. Exactly. <laughs> but there are some, like, really stark parallels here. If you think about Trump being like, I'm gonna drain the swamp, um, basically what happens is the animals come out and initially it's, like, this great, kind of, like, almost idyllic society yeah. where... They're all gonna like pull their weight and they're Get gonna create something great. Exactly. <laughs> and then very slowly the pigs start to develop more power and by the end they actually become human. So like that yeah, they start like walking on their like on their back legs, right? Yeah, exactly. So and they even kind of change the rules as that happens. So initially it's very much two legs bad, four four legs good. And yeah. then they like slowly twist that and turn that around until eventually it becomes um, four legs good, two legs better. And yeah. that's like when they're walking on their on their yeah. on their feet. So um 
No, like, uh, it's very reminiscent of this, like, we're going to drain the swamp um, thing, where, like, Trump came in and was, like, this outsider. And that's what he, that's what he branded himself as. Yeah. And then now, you know, he's just more part of the swamp. And <laughs> I think there's a whole segment of people who are not surprised by that at all, but yeah. it's happening. Right, well, I think there are there is a segment of people that voted for him, though, because they thought he was going to be the outsider that were very disappointed by the fact. Totally. That. And then there's a whole other segment that aren't even really aware that it's happening, or, or maybe they're, right. like, refusing to believe. And I think that's, like, kind of the heartbreaking part of, like, Animal Farm, is, like, yeah. there are these horses, specifically this one horse, Box, who's kind of like the reason that like this movement takes off and like gains uh, gains yeah. any momentum and he ultimately gets sold for glue so a little bit of this like using people to get where you want to go and right. then tossing them to the side like I do think that a lot of the people who like voted for Trump are going to be the people who are ultimately hurt by what happened right because ultimately like I they, and we've heard this from a lot of people I think in the media and like as you're reading things but like Trump doesn't really have a theology he doesn't really have things he's a meologer yeah <laughs> oh like he doesn't really have things that he believes firmly I don't yeah. think he doesn't have any principles that he sort of stands behind other than like wanting to further his own status totally. and so he's sort of like you know and, and those people will say oh he used to be a democrat like yeah he did and like yeah. he's like it became this like kind of representative of the alt-right or like a you know like nationalism and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff um you know because it was politically convenient i think and there's like a section of people that really were relying on him to be their candidate for that that i think are going to feel really used and disappointed when like as it becomes more and more apparent that like he doesn't actually hold those same values or want to maintain those same ideals he he just said that because he knew you would vote for him. <laughs> like, totally. Uh, no, absolutely. And then the other piece that like does feel very reminiscent of 1984 is the propaganda piece. Yeah. <laughs> because like there is a character, uh, Squealer, who's one of the pigs, who's like effectively Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> like he he's Sean Spicer. In Sean Spicer is not as good as Squealer. <laughs> no, he's, uh, you know, if he would have thought of the term alternative facts, he would have used yeah. it. Um, he's always kind of like spinning things, and anytime anything happens, he's the one that goes out and kind of explains it to the world yeah. and kind of does this Sugar double talk. it, yeah. Yeah, and... Good old Kellyanne. Yeah, and we're definitely like, I think it's worth saying that we're not like the only people who are like, hey guys, guess what? What's happening now is like animal fun. Yeah. Like, all you have to do. <laughs> what are you saying, Alice? That we're not the first people to have this we're idea? Not, we're not original. Oh my god. Um, no, all you have to do is go out and look at wrong, wrong. Oh my god, it's so fake news. <laughs> Sorry, I just went full <laughs> Trump on you. Um, okay, so that's number two. Yeah. Um, and so the only reason that we had that beat out number one was because we said it was animals, which makes it. <laughs> Less likely to happen. Humans are animals, dude. And the end of the day. <laughs> I was just going to make a bad 2000 song reference there. Do it. I can cut it out. You and me, baby. Remember that song? Oh my god. So let's do it like we do on the Discovery Channel. Oh, Does that violate copyright? Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so which segues us? So number one is more realistic because it's with real people and not animals. Mm. Fair. Arguably. Um, so at number one, we put The Handmaid's Tale, uh, which ha I think has been like in the news a lot recently. Actually, Margaret Atwood, the author of Handmaid's Tale, um, like did an interview, I think, in the New York Times. I don't know. My mom sent it to me, and then I didn't really read it. But 
<laughs> she um, was the fate we, of mom sending We read emails. it for my book club and she like forwarded it to me and then I was like, yeah, I'll read this and then I didn't. But like, um, I believe that it was like them either interviewing her or she wrote it and they were just talking about like, um, you know, it's like now, like if you want to uh, take out Handmaid's Tale from the library, you're on like a waiting list because so many people are reading it and talking about it now in the context of Trumpism. And, um, you know, I forgot so that like, was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I Amazon all the fucking time. Now. Yeah, yeah. I just like fucking bought it at fucking books a million, but um so, and then I watched the really shitty there's a there's a great uh old like eighties version of the Handmaid's Tale. Seriously? With, yes. I... Fucking Nata what's that? Uh Natasha whatever, the one that was married to Liam Neeson and she died. What the fuck is her name? I can't oh, think of it. And yeah. she's the she's the mom in uh the parent trap. Oh, I can totally picture Yes, her. and uh, also oh, Faye Dunaway, fucking Robert Duvall. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great movie. Anyways, so <laughs> we read it for that, and, like, people are talking about it because it's, um, you know, like, people are claiming that it's, like, a pretty realistic, like, you know, prediction of a future um, because I think the reason for that is that basically in The Handmaid's Tale, it's, like, the near future that we're living in, yeah. and what's happened is just sort of that, like, the conservative alt-right has taking over the United States. And so now we're living, like, in this very, like, biblical, traditional, make America great again society, um, where we've really gone back to, like, living Christian values in a, in a very, like, old school way, though, where, like, everyone has a very assigned gender role, and it's all, like, family-based, and, um, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, these undertones of, like, um, you know, like, we're doing this because, like, we're trying to fix all the things that have gone wrong with society, and, like, this is gonna make everybody, like, have a purpose again, and, yeah. you know, we're gonna go back to, like, living in a godly way, um, and it, the, the thing I think that's, like, really interesting about it is, like, sort of the systematic way that she goes about describing how society kind of turns and, like, deteriorates from, you know, like, the society that we at least think we live in that's yeah. progressive and, um, you know, where people at least have, you know, some civil liberties and, like, some ability, um, you know, to, like, live their own life and, you know, like, things, things that happen, like, there's, um, like, an attack on Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. that, like, she's like, oh, at the time they blamed it on, uh, radical Islam, uh, but it was, like, it was, you know, like, them trying to overthrow the government, um, and then, like, on the same day she loses her job and loses access to her money, um, and it, like, goes to her husband. There was a really great thing where, like, when she goes home and her husband is there and they talk about how she's lost her job and lost access to her own money and now the money has been transferred over to him. He's, like, sort of sympathetic, but he's sort of like, it's gonna be fine. Like, yeah. don't worry about it. And she's like, does he even actually fucking care? Or, like, does is he just saying it to try to, like... Because, like, really nothing's... not his problem. Yeah, it's easy for him to be like, it's fine, because, like, nothing fucking happened to him. And, like, um, and it's, it's sort of, like, this slow deterioration and then she basically basically becomes a handmaid, which means she is still fertile and able to have children, so she basically kind of gets sold to this family of, like, a husband and wife, and the wife can't have any children, so she has to, like, like, have sex with the husband while, like, the wife sits behind her and, like, holds her hands, so they're, like, so both awkward. there, and she's, like, fully clothed, so she's basically, like, forcibly being raped, and, like, she goes to this, like, training center to, like, get taught how to, like, she loses her, like, right to learn how to read or to, to read or to write or to basically, like, have any sort of, like, independent thought. She's yeah. just supposed to be, like, this vessel of, like, fertility. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, I think, um, 
it's like realistic both in that that is kind of we have this like longing to go back to a time when things supposedly were great uh, for like fucking white heterosexual cisgendered men but like you know like they were great apparently like i don't know whatever like mad men seems pretty chill <laughs> you're john draper like no like, fucking do it but that's like exactly like so like the the guy that she's like sold to the main character um like, he, like, he goes to this, like, secret club called Jezebel's where there's still, like, you know, women dressed in, like, old-fashioned clothes. So, like, yeah. Playboy bunny costumes and, like, they sleep, you know, they're, like, prostitutes or whatever. And he's, like, they kind of have this conversation where she's, like, why does this thing, kind of thing still exist? Like, isn't this against the whole system that you fucking helped to set up? And he's, like, ha ha, like, it's just for funsies and, like... I still get to go here because I'm cool and well, and it's not so different. Like goes around yeah. all the way in a circle to like he's yeah. still using a woman for their body and it's yeah, his and he's still term. he's still like getting whatever he wants out of society. Yeah. He's just like gained back full control in a way that like women had sort of gained some equal ground mm-hmm. in society before that, and like now he feels powerful again because that's like completely been taken away. And like, he says something bullshit to her, like in order for society as a whole to like, you know, like progress and like be good and beneficial to the majority of people, it has to suck for some people. And you're like, no, like it sucks for everyone except you. So like, whatever. But so, yeah, so that's Handmaid's Tale. So, um, my question for you, and I actually haven't read Handmaid's Tale. Like I've been meaning to, and like they're, the show's about to yeah. come out. So I'm sure it will, uh, I will come across it in a more purposeful way sometime soon. Um, but my question for you as we were talking about this is like, is this the most realistic or is it just the most terrifying or is it a little <laughs> bit of both? I, I think it's, terrifying because it is realistic. She did the best job of like taking the exact world we live in now and like this is only a few years out, right? Like this hasn't, like the characters in The Handmaid's Tale lived in the world that we live in now in a way that like in The Hunger Games they never lived in that world or you know what I mean? Like Yeah, uh, the step-by-step manual nature of it is like kind of terrifying. Yeah, the way that she's like, this is like literally what could happen. So as I said, like I prefer dystopian literature when it's the hypothetical, but yeah. like you need it when it's a little bit more realistic. Maybe that's why you've been avoiding Handmaid's Tale. Maybe. Maybe you're worried about it being too real. But it's also why I should lean into it more. And I yeah. did reread Animal Farm. Like I'm trying a little bit to lean into yeah. it because it's also just like, this is how we remember certain things that are awful that have happened in the past, right. how we acknowledge certain things that are awful that are happening now, and how we guard against those things happening in the future. Right. God, I'm so depressed. How do we end this on a positive note? Do we end it on the positive note of introducing everyone to Snarky? The Harry Potter pygmy puff that I bought you at... (laughs) I love that that is both a question and an answer to your own question. (laughs) Yes, Kelly. We should definitely introduce Snarky. Please, please explain. Um, so I went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter last week by myself. I had to go to Florida for work, and so I was like, I'm gonna fucking, I, like, maybe could have gone there with an actual child, but it didn't work out. <laughs> so I... That makes it sound like you were just gonna steal one off the street, <laughs> by the way. No, like, I had access to a child. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I am friends with a child. Any way that you say it is creative. It really is. 
Anyway. Uh, so I went to Harry Potter World by myself, Alice, because fucking whatever. No, I love it. I'm an independent ass woman and I'll go to Harry Potter No, if anything, I'm just giving you a hard time because I'm jealous and I wish I could yeah. have been there. But while I was there, I thought of you and I went to Weasley's Wizard Weezes and I bought you this pygmy puff and it's, we decided to name it Snarky. <laughs> he's adorable. He's purple. And he's fluffy and um, that's pretty much now you feel better, right? I kind of do. <laughs> Okay, let's end it there.